Welcome everyone to FF Plus, your outlet for weekly reviews that are simple, short, and spoiler-free. I'm your host, Aaron White. This week, I have a fellow Seattle film critic with me, Taylor Baker, who is also a member of the Seattle Film Critics Society and the editor, I believe, or the founder, you'll have to tell us, Taylor, of the website Drink in the Movies. Taylor, thanks for being on the show. Thanks for having me. Yeah, something like editor-in-chief, co-founder, I don't know. As you know, once we start these things, we are the ones that have to give ourselves the titles. And uh, (laughs) I have whatever title is necessary, but I make the thing go. (laughs) King Taylor of Drink in the Movies. We'll go with that. (laughs) I feel so humble. (laughs) (laughs) How long have you been doing film criticism? Uh, How long has Drink in the Movies existed? Uh, We opened in 2018 following a uh, few drinks at a film spotting get-together in Capitol Hill at the Georgetown Brewing Company. I don't know if you've ever listened to film spotting, but they uh, one time decided to max out the company credit cards. Josh Larson rolled through town, and uh, I met Michael Clausen there and his now wife, Gabby before they went to attend a Black Panther screening, and we got to talking about movies and drinking beer, and we decided, wouldn't it be fun to talk about movies and drink beer? And, uh, you know, here we are four years later, doing the thing. What a crazy coincidence, because film spotting was largely the primary inspiration for this podcast beginning. It was the podcast that I listened to that I ended up deciding to jump in and make my own and i was there <laughs> I was, were you really i was That's i was yes <laughs> i was there when they came i'd been waiting for years i'd actually had josh on the show right around then to nice. discuss top gun he had never seen it before and so we got him on here to talk about top gun with us and it was around the time that they were coming. So, that, yeah, it was really cool. Uh, nice. I love that. So you wild. also uh, have the same perhaps respect love, admiration, jealousy, as I do for their editor, Sam Van Halgren, who is perhaps one of the best film podcast editors of all time. I absolutely do. And I wish that he was still a podcast talker uh, more than he is, because I still love following him on Letterboxd. And we tend to have very similar feelings about movies, whereas sometimes I don't always align with Josh and Adam as much. But yeah, no, it's a it's a great crew. And that's just a it's a really neat little story there. And so did you know the the people that you founded drinking the movies with before that event? Or is that where you I met, met Michael there and then we okay. uh, started the podcast, uh, co-founded it, turned into a film criticism website, um, I'd say a year after we did the podcast full time. And then brought in writers that were contributors. Now we've got a bunch of staff writers. We've got some guest writers. Got people from um, different continents that sometimes do bigger pieces for us. So it's uh, it's really cool, really rewarding. And it's not something that I put too much planning into. It was really just a labor of love that morphed into what it is today. That's how the best ones are, in my opinion. I'm right there with you. Well, today we are going to talk about two films that both were big award winners at this year's Cannes Film Festival. It is Mm -hmm. award season, so that is what we are kind of knee-deep in, you and I, for the next few months. And these are movies that are on pretty much anybody who's a big cinephile's radar. 
And we're going to start with Triangle Sadness being distributed by Neon. It stars Harris Dickinson, the late Charlby Dean, Dolly DeLeon, Zlatko Burek, Henrik Dorsen, Vicky Berlin, and Woody Harrelson. It is directed by Ruben Ostlund and written by Ruben Ostlund. This is his English language feature film debut. He's previously been known for the films Force Majeure and The Square. What's it about? Celebrity model couple Carl and Yaya are invited on a luxury cruise for the uber-rich, helmed by an unhinged ship captain. Then things go terribly wrong. Now, I said that because we are spoiler-free, and so I'm going to do my best to avoid giving away what happens in the third act of this movie. So there is an interesting structure to Triangle of Sadness, probably tied in there with the name. So before we start, I'll just say this. There is a a part one to the movie that is about 25 minutes long and consists of character introduction and mostly one long conversation. There's a part two that is about an hour long, takes place on a luxury yacht, and there is a part three that is also about an hour long that takes place after the things have gone terribly wrong. (laughs) So... Overall, not a huge fan of this personally, and I thought maybe we would kind of start with just each part and then we can kind of go from there as to what we think about the holistic nature of this, or if it even works as a whole, as you were saying to me right before we started recording. So part one, Carl and Yaya, this is where we meet the main couple, Taylor. Mm -hmm. Did this movie get your attention right away? When it introduced us to these two people, were you excited about spending another couple hours with this couple? Was I excited? No. I I do want to go over <laughs> a couple things first. You uh, mentioned Ruben Ostland is the writer-director. I do want to also mention he's the editor and seems to edit all of his films, which I do think is an interesting triplet of credits. You know, he's got complete control over the story, and so you can really heap any faults or praise that you have at his feet. So I I really was disgruntled at the beginning i i don't like introductions like that in most films excluding something like the neon demon in which we start with a model doing the removed actions of modeling that are the personification of acting inhuman so that things that other people describe as of worth that i don't find of worth are um more appealing and so i very quickly was against the grain on the film, but then it moves into a dinner and a conversation between Charby Dean and Harris Dickinson, and I was very enthralled and moved by that. I thought it was a great humanist piece, and those in that particular moment, I think that this first act is by far its strongest, and the part of the film that I felt positively about. How about you? Well, I felt more positively about it than I did the rest of the movie, but that's relative. (laughs) So I did not love it. I think I struggled with this throughout because I actually think that Oslin has a really good eye for the camera work and for shot composition. And just, I I liked a lot of the way that the movie looked just visually speaking. So you take the story completely out of it. I didn't mind watching it with my eyeballs Uh, there's a boston terrier in like the opening portions Mm -hmm. which was making me happy because i have one you know so i'm like ooh, boston i mean but that's how checked out i was is i was more interested in the fact that there's like a boston terrier in this random model interview scene than the fact of what they're talking about (laughs) all i cared about was the 
blurred out Boston Terrier in the background. So yeah, once they, they get into that, paint on their bodies, I was yeah. like, this is not my movie. <laughs> well, the whole thing is satire. And I think that's important for people to understand is it really is intentionally making fun of beautiful morons or just incredibly yeah, i think i'd be more inclined to say it's an attempt at satire i don't know that i completely yes. am on board with it pulling off satire right there's films that you think of from uh louis buñuel the exterminating angel uh you think of pierre paolo pasolini's uh salo or 120 days of saddam those films are much more communicative of all the ideas that are in triangle of sadness but they are sincerely presented whereas you're mentioning these shot compositions, but they don't make me feel like Ostland is empathetic or human or engaging with these seriously. It feels to me like he's removed and he's just got digital cinematography capturing some scenes that he thought would be silly to capture. There's there's no real undergirding of humanity except for this first part with the money conversation. Yes, exactly how I felt. And and like you said, so it is a money conversation. Basically, they spend about 15 minutes arguing over who should have paid for dinner. And it's a broader conversation that they have that leads to these debates about their entire relationship and who should be doing what based on who makes X amount of money and who is more famous than the other person. And so it is Gender interesting, norms, I think. Societal norms, yeah. classism, all of that's buried in there. And then male but insecurity. You have to, you gotta be on board with the fact that these are two like rich, beautiful models who that's their only quality. And for me, part of what really sinks the whole movie is that they are initially like our vessel that we are gonna go through this journey with, and they're just completely shallow. I mean, they're supposed to be for the story. They're shallow, they're vapid. But I couldn't connect to them in any way, shape, or form. And it just got worse for me once we got to the yacht. We actually mm-hmm. left this couple, and they already were, like, barely the most interesting thing. We start to meet other celebrities. Um, I guess not celebrities. We meet other rich folks who they interact with, and some silly hijinks occur, and Woody Harrelson as the ship captain I'm going to say this and this, I don't think this is much of a spoiler, but he is a communist. And so we get a pretty big kind of political commentary or attempt uh, at it. <laughs> you're forgetting the movie. He's a Marxist. He is. Okay. He's a Marxist. Do you remember that conversation? <laughs> I, I do. I do. And then there's, because there it's, well, it's interestingly played because he is an American who is a Marxist and mm-hmm. he has this long conversation with a Russian who is a capitalist. Yes, and he's it's very much an play. oligarch. Yes. <laughs> and I, I just didn't enjoy this section at all, frankly. I, it also has the, if you've seen the trailer for the film, there are some bodily fluids that play into this. And I'm not a big gross out factor person. And I didn't understand why it needed to be in this movie. I didn't see it as at all impactful to the point or the script whatsoever. And so I just felt like Oslin was throwing things at the screen, like almost with a blindfold on and hoping that they randomly meshed together. Yes, it felt very superficial to me. I will say you keep calling our main characters uh, or what I say our main characters are in Dickinson and Dean um, 
rich, but I feel like they're the poorest people we have until the third act. You know, they're the the people that we're supposed to identify with because they couldn't even be on the yacht if they weren't invited for free because they're they're gorgeous, right? That's what they're there for. They're there for eye candy and nothing else. They they don't actually have enough money to live very well in the city even off of their modeling careers. You know, we find out in the first part that Dickinson is not a very successful model. He's going out for his first job in a few years or something. So just to to kind of, you know, explore that. But um, yeah, I mentioned in my letterbox review that the only way that I could enjoy this part two was by pretending that Woody Harrelson's character was Woody Boyd from Cheers and that that grassroots, aw shucks, fella had become a Marxist uh, ship captain <laughs> that was a drunkard. <laughs> that was the only way that I could really find myself enjoying it. Because if I did anything else, it would just have been so grating and excruciatingly on-the-nose commentary about mm-hmm. superficial levels of politics and philosophy that are unexplored in a serious way with their actual consequences. I mean, at one point, we're introduced to arms dealers, and they are looking at a grenade um that they manufactured because and they're they're commenting on it being manufactured by them and there's just no level of me giving a crap at all at that point in time in the film there's just no level of me being enthralled of the stakes mattering of the commentary being insightful or the uh, cinematic grammar being engaging. Everything's just kind of out the window, and I'm looking at an avant-garde museum piece that I would like to walk away from and go look at the architecture of the building rather than the art piece in it. That's a great way to put it. They are instant Instagram famous, essentially. That's what these models are. It's why she's getting this free trip. It's, Mm -hmm. like you said, it's basically a handout for someone who is a social media influencer. And if there is a part of the movie that I think at least maybe could entertain some people, I could see that part of the commentary being it. There's a scene where she very clearly does not eat a certain type of food, but she fakes it for the picture. The only problem I have with all these things is, again, it's blatantly obvious. Like, who doesn't know that? Who's never themselves faked the way that they looked in order to take a good picture for social media. And that's just what we see. It's just on a more fancy level here. And well, speak for yourself, Aaron. I think I look great whenever a photo's taken of me. <laughs> <laughs> You're totally all about the candidates, huh? Mm-hmm. Well, that mm-hmm. is impressive. Uh, uh, the movie does take a gorge. big turn. <laughs> <laughs> it takes a big, big turn uh, when it goes to the third act. And while I don't want to reveal mm-hmm. where the third act takes place, did you find any sort of redemption for the story in this last hour? Um, Any sort of redemption for the story in this last hour? I did. I do think that Ostland as screenwriter at least began to address a sincere level of classism and, you know, some bigger ideas about sex work. And, you know, he kind of reframes that early conversation that Yaya and Carl have about whether or not they're just doing this for Instagram likes in the short term. And then they're put in a more um, uh, high stakes situation. 
and they begin acting in different ways, and that's counterfactual to what the character traits are that they presented earlier in the film. So there, there's actual screenwriter uh, and, and screen grammar happening that is interesting. It's just that the film is so innocuous and removed of all power and, and punch that what it does offer in what is good screenwriting and development doesn't matter because it's so preconceived with these themes that are so heavily punching our nose that it just doesn't actually end up mattering. Yeah, no, it's, it doesn't at all. And it really drug for me. The, fir- the second act was dragging. The third act, it felt like it was slowed down to a crawl. Unfortunately, I was watching this at home. Maybe fortunately, I don't know, one or the other. But I just wanted to keep checking my phone. It was that kind of situation. Mm-hmm. I did like the performance by Dolly De Leon. Uh, she's mm-hmm. a 53-year-old Filipina actress who hasn't had anything to do up until the point of the third act. Her name is Abigail in the film. And she's like a, a toilet manager is what they call her. She's basically the cleaning lady of a crew member um, mm-hmm. on the yacht. And I enjoyed using her as a POV into like the classism that you were talking about and seeing her character and the way that she ends up kind of asserting herself into a position of leadership over the rest of these people who just have zero skills at all outside of simply existing and enjoying themselves. But I I just didn't overall find it to be impactful meaningful to my to me it didn't change the way i saw anything about the world and i honestly didn't find much of the black comedy very funny either it just all landed super flat and i was not a fan of this thing overall i will say that in this final sequence there there is a beach at at a few points we'll say and whenever we were looking at that beach during the daylight i was so ready to just Go watch M. Night Shyamalan's Old. I just had a whole new appreciation for that movie after having to sit through this movie. (laughs) Absolutely. Well, I like to let the audience know whether I would recommend something in a theater, whether I'd recommend they watch it at home once it's available to stream or rent, or whether I think they should skip it altogether. I'll let you go first. Where would you put Triangle of Sadness in those three options? So despite me not liking it, uh, I've read a lot of reactions that said people had an absolute blast watching this and laughed really hard in theaters. So I think if you are going to watch it, you should watch it in the theater. You and I did watch it via screener at home. That could have removed our, our you know experience at some level. I think that that always can play into it. Um, at a personal level, I'm a no thanks, but I think if you're interested in watching it, it's definitely a theater watch. How about you? Yep, I can agree with that. Yeah, I, I mean, I think anything that has a strong visual quality to the filmmaking is usually worth seeing in a theater. And I think that if you are the kind of person who is going to gravitate towards this movie, then you will be upset that you didn't see it in a theater. You will wish you had had like some sort of a communal experience. Although I question how packed most theaters are going to be. For this particular movie, although I guess it is an Amazon or not an Amazon. It's an AMC artisan title I saw today. Mm-hmm. So AMC will be playing it. So it is getting some run. And if you are into a shallow kind of depiction of classist satire, then go for it. It's glossy. 
It's just not my thing at all. Doesn't sound like it's Taylor's either, but it is available in theaters now, should you wish to check it out. Well, I wanted to save the best for last, and since the other film we're talking about, you and I were decidedly higher on. This one uh-huh. is Decision to Leave, and it is being distributed by Mubi here in the States. It stars Tang Wei and Park Hai Il. It is directed by Park Chan-wook, written by Park Chan-wook and Zhong Sao Kyung. What's it about? A detective falls for a mysterious widow after she becomes the prime suspect in his latest murder investigation. No act structure really to talk about here. We'll just go over this as a whole. I kind of want to start here, Taylor. What is your feeling in general on Park Chan-wook's filmography? Well, because I view myself as an artist, I have to make the decision to leave now because that would be the most meaningful thing I could do to record an episode about this title. (laughs) (laughs) No, but in all seriousness, I, I, I was very mixed for the first half and I came around on it very positively. The the last, I'd say, quarter of the film to third of the film really builds something that is emotionally unique and special that I haven't seen too many other times. I kept thinking to myself, this is a puzzle box movie, this is a puzzle box movie, this is a puzzle box movie, about two-thirds of the way in. I couldn't really believe how Park Chan-wook had built the sides of this Rubik's Cube and then started to zoom out so that we could see it from like a a different vantage point instead of just one side at a time and and when he started to to add those multiple angles together it i really was won over so i feel very positively about it how about you i'm a huge fan i think that he has not made a f- movie yet that is not of the highest quality i've enjoyed i, I put i would putting enjoyed in air quotes can't see me right now everything that uh, park chambook has made because some of his early filmography is very dark. Um, he uh-huh. tends to be very violent. There's usually a high sexual quality to it and the deviance. And they are intentionally examining some very, very challenging material. Um, things like revenge. He has a very famous kind of revenge trilogy. Uh-huh. And, He does these things super well, but as we saw in The Handmaiden, his film previous to Decision to Leave, he can really do romance as well. I think Thirst is a low-key contender for some really interesting romantic vibes as well. And this one just had me under its spell right away. I would agree with you that probably if there's a weaker part of it, it is a little bit of the first half. One thing about this director is he jumps right into things. Mm -hmm. In fact, this is largely a South Korean director thing, I I feel like. But when we start this movie, I mean, it is there's no like slow burn of getting to know the characters. Uh, You are just there. Things are happening and you don't know what is going on. And you find out a little bit later that there are some side quests of a sort. There are some side cases that our lead cop is working on in addition to the the main crux of the plot, which is this murder investigation in which he meets this widow and begins to develop a relationship with her. I think that those side pieces of the story were my least favorite part. And the main plot, I was just enraptured by. Yes, I don't think that I knew what the main plot was. And I, I honestly think that if I go back and watch it right now, remembering as much as I know about the film as a whole, 
that I'll probably think that the beginning's great too. But because I didn't know what the heck was happening, or who these characters were, and I was getting confused because everybody was in side profile instead of looking full on, and I couldn't tell the differences between characters, I was just trying to always establish what was going on. So I was kind of acting as a detective with our detective. But now that I get the arc of the film, I feel like just like with The Handmaiden, you go back and you watch it again, and you just have another layer of appreciation of the artistry of the film. Yes, totally agree with that. And that artistry shows up in basically what you could describe this as a soap opera mixed with a police procedural. It's got a puzzle to be solved, but I don't think that it is quite as complex as maybe some other films of this type. I think that it's a very slowly developing story, and I think that Chan Chan Wook's visual form is something that I just always am going to show up for because he can put brilliant images on screen and he uses Uh dissolves particularly in a way that I just find swoon worthy (laughs) honestly like I I feel like I could just I'm praising this like I fell in love with it and I just I did feel in love with it from a vibes standpoint from a from that kind of engagement and I loved the characters as well I think it is a challenging movie it is one that revolves around this kind of forbidden relationship and there are elements of their relationship that I struggle with you know one of which is that the cop is married and to a seemingly very awesome wife honestly and so for him to have interest in someone else that is mysterious and for that to be kind of sold to us as a positive in a way I guess I don't know if it's sold to us as a positive but that's generally the feel of the the characters have i always kind of about that personally just as an anti-divorce kind of proponent but the performances are fantastic and i think that ting wei here in particular she is playing a character that is pretty nuanced and hard to pin down and i think that she does it very well she had me guessing yes she had me guessing as well you were talking about some of the the sumptuous frames that had you swooning, and there were multiple times in that film where I was just arrested and pausing it because I just wanted to luxuriate in in some of the blocking that develops where you just have this beautiful picturesque scene. I don't know if you ever saw Abbas Kiristami's Twenty Four Frames, but I was like, there's like six different scenes in here that belong right alongside those 24 frames. They're just absolutely gorgeous. There's an interior shot where he's looking at us and we're looking out the window at this gorgeous lush forest and backyard. And then that ending on the beach where you get those little rocky hills that have these beautiful trees on them. Oh man, there's so many different beautiful scenes that just by themselves, divorced of all plot, nuance, and character are amazing in and of themselves. But Tangway yeah. was very, very, very... uh riddled with complexity i didn't i I was guessing until the very end um and i didn't know how i felt about her which is a really great accomplishment in screenwriting and in filmmaking where you have a a co-lead who the heart of the film hinges upon and you don't really know if you're with her or against her or or him or whoever until that point and you're with the detective kind of the whole time and then 
you know, we won't get into what actually happens, but in that final sequence, as he's roaming the beach, I did find myself on her side. And I think that was a, I, I don't know when that happened, but all of a sudden it was her film for me, not his film. And, and I, I was completely emotionally with her and I, I don't know where that change occurred, like I said, but I, that's a very, um, lovely thing that I got to experience watching it. Yeah. That's a really, really cool way to put it. And I, I think I felt very much the same way. And the final scene here is memorable. Um, extremely so this is one of those lingering images that will stick with you. It, It has something very big is being shown to us as far as the plot goes and the way that it is impacting the characters. And all of a sudden the title to this movie comes into focus in the final seconds of the film and it's just like a wallop i mean it just hits you and you're just like oh (laughs) that's Uh what this title of the film is referring to and i I love that i love movies that can twist me up in that way and then actually surprise me and make me question whether or not decisions were the right ones or not and i could probably make an argument both ways when it comes to how this movie ends and I, I think that that is a compelling thing, not a, a negative in this case. So I am a, am a huge fan of this. This is one of my favorite movies of the year so far. I cannot wait to see it again. I think it could raise even higher for me. It is a movie that I was very upset to have to watch at home because once I got into it, I just all I could think about was how much opposite of Triangle Sadness, I wanted to be in a theater so that I had zero distractions, so that I could just look at these beautiful frames. The score is lovely, uh, wonderful as well. So I highly recommend you get to a theater if you can at all possible to see this movie, especially if you're not a native speaker and you're going to be watching it with English subtitles as we both were. Because I just, I wanted to pay attention. I wanted to catch every detail of this movie and I don't think I did. So I will be going out to see it again in a theater. So that has to be my recommendation. What about you? Yes, I absolutely agree with the experience being better in a theater. <clears throat> you can certainly watch it at home, but if you have any opportunity to see it in its limited theatrical release from movie, do so. I know that there's going to be a lot of cities around America that will just not have access because, you know, this is movie's biggest theatrical distribution, but it's still not very big. It's not going to be playing too many locations. So you're going to have to seek it out, maybe go for a drive to see it. But yeah, the, the ability to be in a completely blacked out room, just you and the screen, that's absolutely the way to watch this. I'll be revisiting it as well. I don't know if I'll have the time to make it to a theater like you with all the other things that we're trying to get to this uh upcoming awards season but i completely echo those sentiments all right well it is in theaters now in select theaters in select cities <laughs> it's playing in seattle starting this either to i think it's today maybe it's next week but it's it's i think it's what is today 14th no the 21st it's it's going to be i believe it's going to be in seattle on the 21st okay. at one of the sith theaters so it has not gone into wide distribution, but maybe we'll get lucky. Parasite did. So with any luck, maybe this will catch on and 
they'll start putting it in AMC's and Regal's and yeah, all Parasite places. was a Neon though. Neon's got those. Um, oh, that's right. Relationships. Uh, Mubi, you know, is very new to theatrical distribution. They're great at digital distribution on their platform, but this will be a, a new experience for them. And maybe they will roll it out if there's positive response. But I wouldn't hold my breath. That was very strange, by the way. I had no idea it was for Mubi until we got the invite to watch it, and I was like, "What is this?" Who? Why is Mubi sending me an email about a movie? And then I realized that's why. I was like, "Wow, you guys are <laughs> stepping up your your game." So that was kind of cool. Yeah. All right. Well, before we go, Taylor, I mentioned the name of the mm-hmm. website, but where can people listen to you or read your writing and find out all of your film thoughts across the internet? Everything in the world on the internet is all at drinkinthemovies.com. You can just go to Google and type in Drink in the Movies, or you can hit that you know URL bar. Go type in that HTML, www.drinkinthemovies.com. There's an about page there if you want to follow me on social media. The podcast is on the right-hand side of the website page. Just pick whichever episode you want to listen to. It's all easy. It's all there. And there's a search bar on the website if you want to get really nuanced and and figure out a, a particular film. Outstanding. And as always, you can find me everywhere online at Aaron L. White, A-A-R-O-N-E-L-W-H-I-T-E on Twitter, on Letterboxd. You can find the Feel and Film Facebook discussion group. Links to all that stuff is in the show notes for each and every episode. Hopefully, we provide you with some information that will help your decision not to leave, but to decide on what to watch. And we will be back, or I will be back, next week as always maybe taylor will be back at some point who knows stay tuned and you'll find out thank you for listening until next time keep watching and keep feeling filmed.